All right, this should be out before the actual all-star rosters are known, but you know, that's never actually stopped us before anyway. But we are recording this before we know what those rosters are. Do you uh want to share a few words about your philosophy in selecting this team? We're going to do the starters, of course, as if we didn't know who they were already, and then obviously the seven reserves as well. All-star games are always hard because you're trying to reconcile, you know, performance in the present versus star power and and player quality more in the abstract and so yeah that is that that was a little bit of a challenge for me and what i ended up doing um i did this more for the the non the non-starters in in real life as opposed to the non-starters in in where i drew the lines in terms of what three categories so i had no brainers where it's basically to me there's no reasonable argument against having this person among the 12 for the given conference then i had probably in which is basically like there aren't there aren't as many good arguments and then on the margin was just basically the toughest decisions so i'll lay that out as we go through it yeah for starters i'm going to follow the rules that the league has set down two guards three front court players and for the seven after that i'm just going to pick who i think the best seven are if there's some problem with the positions that can address it but i that usually isn't the case especially now since it's you don't have the requirement for centers for example like you used to my philosophy is kind of a mix of, of a lot of these there's The idea of the all-star game rewarding winning, I generally can look at that as a bit of a tiebreaker, if only because I think it's good for players to be rewarded for being on winning teams, that there can be some individual allocates that go with that is good because you're getting players to try to play winning basketball instead of stats. It's less of a concern now that we actually have way better stats than we used to that can break down what your impact is on winning, even if you don't necessarily play for that good of a team. Uh, I also think that the fact that we base who's going to be an all-star, especially when you're considering how this impacts players' legacies and their Hall of Fame case, not that anyone knows what goes into that because that whole organization is a weird black box. The fact we're basing it on half of the season, I think you kind of have to control for that because being an all-star in a given season, that matters for the entire season. And so for some guys, I'm going to regress their performance to the mean a little bit for good or for ill. If a guy missed, you know, 10 or 15 games, but seems healthy and has a good track record overall, you know, is it really going to matter at the end of the season that, you know, this guy missed 10 or 15 games early on when if you look at his season total that's about what everyone misses you know i'm not gonna well necessarily I'll, I'll chime in i'm even more aggressive about missing games for me if a player is really good i care far more about that than about how much time because the because it's the all-star game it's not the all played a lot of minutes and provided value it's not mvp that's not what this is it's something else yeah no i i think that's right uh if you have players who i think are just like absolutely dead bang equal then yeah okay i'll go with miss time as a tiebreaker but i generally don't hit on that um i also just i don't want to get stuck with a guy who's gonna look silly at the end of the year uh much less look silly historically so yeah granted jamal mcglore made an all-star team or while zerbiak back when the rules were a little different and also we just didn't understand who was good as well as we do now frankly but i want to err on the side of not having that happen so without further ado danny who are your eastern conference all-star starters 
I actually think they did pretty close to a good job this year. You know, like like I didn't have much agreements. And for me, the the thing that is more egregious with All Star starters, I know people get up in arms about it, is if a player is voted as a ends up as a starter. I should vote it. It's different now. Um, and I wouldn't have had them in the game at all. In that case, yeah, I'll get I'll get mad because then they took a spot from somebody, especially since it's only twelve per team as opposed to thirteen, which is what I think it should be. And so for me. Giannis, Embiid, Siakam, they're my starting front court. They're the actual starting front court. And Kemba was Kemba's right kind of on the margin. I ended up going with him as well. Um you, you could, I think there's a little bit more more fungible there, but the one that I swapped out was Trey Young. He has been an immensely important part of the Hawks team and he makes my All-Star team, but he doesn't make it as a starter and the person that I put there is Jimmy Butler. Okay, so got a couple of things here. Jimmy Butler is not listed on the league's official ballot as forward or, or as a guard he's listed as four so you're not actually allowed to do that <laughs> i'm doing it anyway i don't care <laughs> he's i mean it, it's with given miami's system i think that i think it's totally fair to have him as a guard he does he does a little bit defensively of both sides but i mean especially because for those who think guards handle the ball he does a fair amount of that too okay so i i don't think he is a guard okay. also he doesn't shoot threes at all anymore he's played pretty much all of his minutes at small forward this year you know this isn't the case where he's playing next to an Andrew Wiggins where okay who's the guard who's the small forward even though he probably was really the small forward there too I mean he plays a very rugged rough and tumble style and he's playing next to he started with Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson uh by the way if you're looking at cleaning the glass they have Butler as playing guard but I don't agree with their classification of having Robinson as the three and Butler as the two there's just no way that's true like Robinson is a two he guards twos he shoots a ton of threes butler doesn't really shoot any three i mean he plays like a forward now uh especially offensively and if he shot more threes if he played more off the ball I might buy that. You know, I don't think he's guarding the one and the two necessarily. With Certainly with their starting lineup, he is guarding the other team's three most of the time. So I, I did not have him as a guard. And, and that means you have a harder decision to make. Well, so I actually went with the exact same starters as okay. uh, the combination of the players, fans, and media selected. Uh, the ones that you mentioned, Trey Young, Kemba Walker, Siakam, Giannis, and Joel Embiid. I think the we'll get to the, the Trey Young part of this in a second. But while we have Butler on the line here, you had Siakam over him as the last front court guy. I think Giannis and Embiid are pretty inarguable. Um, so we don't have to spend any time on those. Oh, so did you? Yeah. Yeah. And I had Siakam as well, but I want to hear what your reasoning was because you obviously you had a chance to put Butler in as a forward. I did. Um, I, I think that for me, Siakam's role within the Raptors offense was, was a part of it. And I mean, it, Jimmy Butler has at times been a, a huge part for the for the Heat as well, and I mean, they're both obviously, to be, to be the best player on successful teams, those teams have similar records as well, and it's not like Siakam's defensive profile is what it used to be, but... I, you know, the value of usage and the playmaking responsibilities that he has. And also, I mean, this, I, granted, I was lower on the Raptors than you were. And I, I picked their under, you picked their over. And especially with the injuries that they dealt with, including at one point an injury to Siakam, I, I've been impressed with the job that he has had to do and how well he has done it. And so for me, he has had a harder, he has had a harder response, responsibility and has done it well. So I know PIPM single year really prefers what Jimmy Butler has done this year. Interestingly, RPM 
GM splits it a little differently. They have Butler as way better defensively, but have Siakam as more valuable offensively, which I I agree with. So yeah, I mean, you do have those pulling in different directions, but the the significance of the role is, is an element of it for me. And, and you ended up with the same decision. What was your rationale? Yeah, and I, the impact metrics do prefer Butler. I just think Siakam overall is the better player. I think he can create more shots at this point. He's a better shooter, better finisher. I do think he does more at a higher level defensively. Maybe not all the time, and I know the impact metrics would disagree with me, but I'm also a little wary, especially with RPM, of how they've really jacked up some of the defensive metrics for perimeter players this year, like Jason Tatum being number two overall in the entire league in defensive RPM. uh, Seems a little much for example. Uh, and that's where a lot of Butler's advantage comes from. He's 11th in defensive RPM and 104th in offensive RPM. So Siakam actually is 32nd in offensive RPM. So I think he's the better offensive player. I think he can guard more positions, provides more rim protection defensively. He has missed a few more games, but he's only about 180 minutes less. It's not going to be a significant difference probably by the end of the year. I'd imagine that Butler is going to miss more games the rest of the way than Siakam will. So I think he's just a little bit better. I think he's a little more impactful. He can create more shots off the dribble, finish around the rim better. I think Butler is really relying at this point on his foul drawing ability. I don't know how much that translates. So I generally default to the better player. I think that is Pascal Siakam. Should we talk about the guards now? Yeah, I, I think so. Trey Young, I'm, I've am i already heard the argument a lot. Oh, his his team sucks. It should be in. And I, I think an important part of that story. Yeah, I mean, it is true that the, the Hawks have been outscored when Trey Young has been on the floor. They've been about a league average offense using cleaning the glasses garbage time filter about a 110 offensive rating. But when you account for the surrounding talent, I actually think that is pretty impressive on Trey Young's part. And then the other element is they've been an absolute disaster when Trey Young has been off the floor. A negative 15.4 net rating when Trey Young has been off the floor. And that's a big part of the reason why their record is so bad. And it is completely unfair to punish a player for the team being bad or good, you know, to punish or praise them for the time that they're not even on the floor. Now you can sometimes in terms of like MVP and stuff, the more time you play can can map factor in. But a big part of why the Hawks have been so bad is that they're a disaster when he's not there. And so I get frustrated sometimes with the one loss when it doesn't reflect that player's contribution. And so for me, like I, I thought that Jimmy Butler's having a better season than Trey Young, but I Trey Young is is definitely an all-star to me. So you having him as a starter, I have no beef with that. Yeah, and I think I probably would have Trey Young potentially even above Kemba Walker. Like that would be close for me. Now people talk about Trey Young's defense. Yep, it's pretty bad, but he's also a point guard and it's just not as important. Even as even compared to like a shooting guard like Levine or Bradley Beal, it's not as important. It, you, to have as a point guard your responsibilities just aren't as extreme and Trey Young number two in the whole league and offensive RPM he is very high up in all of the offensive impact metrics his scoring has been outstanding almost 60 percent true shooting one of the best distributors in the league and most importantly when you watch the game he's not just junking it up he's creating a ton of opportunities for these very limited teammates as you mentioned and teams just he's one of those rare guys that if you're a coach you have to change up what your scheme is to guard him to generally to put two on the ball and get the ball out of his hands because and there's 
maybe 10 players in the league you can say that about offensively yeah that really change what you are doing defensively and and here's a a, a really impressive stat for me for Trey Young he is attempting 9.5 threes per 36 minutes making 37 percent of them and just 28 percent of those three-point attempts are assisted these are self-created shots and there aren't that many other guys who could create for him on this team anyway. And the 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 argument for Trey and like you know he he would have been in, in like that next year for me is also the degree of difficulty. It's the very similar to the argument I made for Pascal Siakam just a bit ago. I think Jimmy Butler is the better overall player right now, but Trey Young's single season body of work is really impressive. And if for the two of us, we both think especially if you are generating the offense as Trey Young is, that offense is more important than defense in this context, especially in the regular season. Well, I mean Trey. Young has a really strong resume in that respect to be damn sure one more thing on him they have taken i'm sorry they, they are hitting 32.3 percent from downtown 30th in the nba you mentioned the number of shots that he takes and the percentage that he's shooting what is the rest of the team shooting the rest of the team must be like you know 31 30 percent something like that when you take out his shots timberwolves-esque well and think of how much if they just had guys who could shoot 35 percent how many more assists would he have how either to the role man or to a three-point shooter because it actually went in and how much better would their offensive rating be with him on the floor if they actually just could make some of the open shots that, that he generates so yeah the defense is bad the team is bad john collins missed 25 games kevin herter is barely played he's like the only viable nba starter level of player on that whole team and they actually have a passable offense when he's out there the other guy we haven't talked about yet in this because uh, it really came down to three guys for me between Kemba Walker, Trey Young, and then Ben Simmons was the last guy. And so I think Simmons has come on lately without Joel Embiid. He is someone where the argument for him has to be, well, you know, it doesn't show up in the stat sheets necessarily for him. You know, the assists are nice get some rebounds, you know, de- mostly defensive rebounds. Those aren't that amazing. He hel- helps get the pace up pretty efficient but the usage is not high basically 20 percent usage it's a league average he is uh basically as efficient as trey young and walker they're all right around the same area so you have to say well he's doing stuff especially defensively that doesn't show up in the impact metrics also if you look at the way they've defended with him on the floor and joel and beat off they're pretty just a slightly above average defense in that situation with plenty of other good defenders around, by the way, Al Horford, Josh Richardson, et cetera. So I'm, while I think he is a very good defender and a very good individual defender, especially when he's locked in, you're really struggling to create a statistical argument there. And yeah, as I watch him, I think his defense is very, very good. And there's certain guys that he can really shut down when he's totally locked in, but that's not enough for me. He really just doesn't have any kind of a statistical argument to be starting this uh the all-star game he's gonna make my team but he doesn't have a a statistical argument to me uh and you know whether it's the impact metrics or just the traditional box score stuff i i said in the intro that i had the starters and then i had three categories no-brainer probably and on the margin i had ben simmons pretty clearly in the no-brainer category where i didn't see an argument against having him as an all-star but i also didn't see a strong enough argument to have him as a starter so i think we kind of probably end up in similar places yeah my my other no one with no-brainers we talked about was Trey Young that his offensive role all that kind of stuff he's in that category
category for me. And then the third one, and it's it's great that it's coming on the heels of him having some really big games recently, is Chris Middleton. Oh, yeah. Middleton, he takes so little off the table on either end of the floor, having the best offensive season of his career so far. And when I started comparing him to not only the, so the next tier down, because remember, you have seven non-starter spots, comparing him to the next tier down, and then the next tier beyond that, it's like, oh, well, of course he's, he's right here. So with those five starters and then Trey, Ben Simmons, and Chris Middleton, I am at eight. Yeah, I mean, Middleton has become the guy that they really hoped that he would be last year. I mean, with the level of efficiency that he's shown, uh, 14.9 net rating when he's on the floor, that helps. And he's been a big part of even in these games that Giannis has missed. Uh, the Bucks uh, and you know this whole oh they have to have a second All Star thing. Um, you know I would if Brook Lopez were shooting his normal percentage he would probably be in this mix to me too, but he just hasn't shot it well enough from three. Eric Bledsoe you can talk about him too, but he's just he's not quite doing enough offensively. I think he's been excellent defensively again. They have the best defense in the league by like two points per 100 possessions. So yeah, Middleton is and he just he struggled for like the first two weeks. He's like one of those guys that's like oh he's not shooting that well. Uh, uh no actually uh look at the stats now he is so um and and he also missed uh about three weeks uh, with that injury but uh, again i'm not really holding that against him i think he's clearly in there butler is clearly on my team as well and then my last lock was kyle lowry lowry is on my team as well but he is in a um he's in a different category but yeah i mean especially when you consider the overall the overall case and everything else i I, so okay this might be getting ahead of the field a little bit but the other kind of thinking about the other guards, what put him over, let's say, you know, Kyrie and Beal and Brogdon or whoever else you wanted to consider? Well, this is one where I think it's team performance, where it's the availability, even though he missed that time period, he's still right in the mix with a lot of these guys in terms of minutes played. He's shown more pick and roll ability, especially in those games that Siakam was out. He kept the ship afloat for them. He is down in the impact metrics. I will grant you that from, you know, when he has really been a top 10 player over the years, but I think this is also just a nod to what he has been, the level of player that he still is, his two-way ability, his versatility to play on or off the ball, all that. I just think when you look at the overall level of player here, that he's got to be in there. I probably even would have him above Ben Simmons at this point in time, although as I mentioned, Simmons to me is a lock as well um but yeah i I mean a lot of this is just who do i think is the better player and and when you look at some of these other names here you know lowry is of a stature that's just beyond a lot of these guys so that's where i get that um so did you have anyone else in the lock category or no no just just those guys and then my next tier is actually pretty small too and that's the it's only two guys and I just thought they had, you know, I thought they had better cases than the other group. And that's Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum. Beal, this came up in All-NBA. We, we had that conversation in about, actually, wow, that was about a month ago of... You know, he, he, he's an important part of a team that isn't very good, but he has a large role offensively. And then the defensive stuff, he's a guard. It's not as big a deal. So I, I think that he's the best offensive player, you know, that is, especially that has logged reasonable minutes in this group. And then Tatum, it's the all around profile. I, I don't love his defense nearly as much as the, the metrics do, but he is a very valuable team defender and has been an important part of the Celtics success on that end of the floor as, as reflected in those metrics. And so 
I just liked Tatum's overall case better than some of the other people. The margin here was a little bit tighter than the other ones. Like the no-brainers for me, there was a, a little bit of golf, but I thought those two were definite all-stars to me as well. I did not have Tatum on my team. He was in my first group out. Uh, it's just been too inefficient over the course of the year. He's by far the lowest true shooting percentage, shooting 47% from two. Like if you're going to be on my all-star team, I think you, I, I want you shooting a little bit better than that. I agree with you that I think he is an excellent help defender, but the impact major metrics to me really overrate his defense, especially RPM having him at number two in the entire league. Like there's just no way there. Uh, I think he's a, a valuable spot up shooter. His passing is you know taking very baby steps it's not coming along that well to me so a a lot of it is just yeah he's taking a lot of shots and he's on a good team and i think he is an all-around player i actually thought that jalen brown had the slightly better case to him uh just uh, with his improved efficiency i think brown is much better on the ball tatum is much better off the ball i mean i think it it speaks volumes that the hierarchy is Marcus Smart, and then Jalen Brown, and then Jason Tatum as to who Brad Stevens is going to have guard the best perimeter players on the other team. And yet, you know, it doesn't mean that Tatum's help defense isn't valuable, and he's better at that than Brown, but he's not as good on ball. He's not as good getting over a screen, pressuring up, guarding quicker players guarding stronger players uh so you know i don't see them as being that much different defensively although the impact metrics will disagree and i think brown is doesn't create quite as many shots but he's also a lot more efficient and so uh, i think in this day and age with some of the competition that's out here uh, i didn't have tatum um let me give you my last three guys though here okay um these are and one was bam out of bio yep uh i mean i think you just you need another center number one and number two uh, i think he's clearly been the best of this group defensively very very solid not quite defensive player of the year level but very very good in the impact metrics and someone who is able to guard switch out on the perimeter when needed he can play zone he can play man he rebounds his passing has been outstanding he is at 6.7 assists per 100 possessions that's really good in that dho game he really helps a lot of that stuff function he can do some grab and go just his overall swiss army knife aspect i really like i had him significantly above Demonis Sabonis I just don't think that Sabonis has enough versatility uh, to really be in the all-star conversation he's not as efficient as he had been either in in past years having to take a lot more mid-rangers well and then the other part of it for me is just you get into who's a better player how is this going to age and I just think sure I think Bam is on the rise this could be the first of many or at least a few all-star appearances and Sabonis I think is is closer at least to playing over his head that was yeah and 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 he was my next Sabonis was my next center too but he just wasn't good yeah no and that wasn't close to me and Bradley Beal is the other one to me again the defense for him is awful but this is a Washington team that has nobody else around him he's a two guard you wonder okay how bad can it really be uh the fact that he is considered a worse defender than he is an offensive player by some of these impact metrics is pretty insane to me but he's 13th in the NBA in offensive RPM and His three-point shooting is a little bit below his career norms, but the usage is way, way up. It shouldn't have to be quite this high, and he's doing it on a really good offense. 113 offensive rating when he's on the floor. Well, we'll just sort of gloss over that 121 defensive rating (laughs) when he's on the floor. But again, like if I'm going to have the same philosophy with Trey Young, I got to add to that with Beal. And he's also just has a better overall record than these guys, Uh, and he's been doing it for longer. We know that he's uh, a quality player. It's not 
not you know that his shooting if anything is fluky in the bad direction as opposed to the good direction like it might be with say a Jalen Braun who didn't make my team and after much struggling with the eternal uh Braun versus Tatum question I solved it by putting Kyrie Irving on my team instead Irving was my last cut I went with so my choice because I had Tatum higher than you did my last choice was Lowry versus Irving and it was kind of weird to pick. I think right now Kyrie Irving is the better player, but Lowry has had some has had strong years recently. He is typically more available and he's been an important part of his team's success. And, you know, I mean, Kyrie's missed time. That was, you know, even though the Nets really thrived in in that time when he was out at the beginning, and then we saw how it went after that. But I thought that, you know, the the normal tiebreakers don't necessarily, didn't didn't necessarily apply here. And I was was okay with the decision. And considering you had Lowry over Kyrie as well, I'm guessing you felt the same, even though you had him on your team. Yeah. And for Kyrie, okay, he's only played 17 games, but he appears to be healthy now. Looks like he's going to be able to make it through the season. So he'll end up with probably around 50 games played assuming nothing else uh, really causes some issue he's carrying the highest offensive load of his career he's been very efficient I realize there's some of the drama in Brooklyn that they've had times where they looked like they were playing better without him I don't know how much of that I buy into I do have concerns about him at the highest levels when you get into the playoffs and you know, I think the fact that he played with LeBron James who so well masked his weaknesses and accentuated his strengths has probably led to him just being a little bit overrated historically the fact that he hit that shot in the 2016 playoffs all that but I mean he's just a, a better player higher stature than Tatum and Brown and you know if you look at the end of the year I just like the fact that those guys would have made it over Kyrie Irving like those guys times might be coming but he's still just way better than those guys are and I didn't think it would be a different story with the missed games if it was like okay these guys are just like clear all-star what they've done this year just jumps off the page to me as like yeah this guy has to be an all-star in any reasonable year I think overall things are a little bit down in particular when you consider that Victor Oladipo Steph Curry Kevin Durant Clay Thompson all those guys are not going to get selected they're not available so it's just the overall talent level at the bottom of these is down this year and so that really made me feel more comfortable putting Irving in despite the missed time I want to mention two other people who haven't whose names haven't been discussed at all of course a lot of the other ones that that we each mentioned is near misses and all that those those stand for where they are and those are two former teammates Malcolm Brogdon and Brooke Lopez Brogdon I I think if he had stayed healthy or healthier he would have had a better shot I, I I liked a lot of what he's done this year he also had to shoulder so much of the burden with Oladipo only coming back on Wednesday night um but he just he didn't have enough there and he doesn't have the the track record yeah so he's like the mid-career guy who has the one career season and then you know isn't an all-star after that and you just you look back and you're like this guy made an all-star team like he made one you know and also like I don't really see the statistical argument there either for him yeah I mean he's he's been solid overall but I don't think his profile is as strong as as some of the other people so I wanted to mention him just because I think he's having a good year I did consider him and then for Brooke I mean so we got this question a little while ago I think that was on the it was either on the cast or it was when we did the NBA Twitch channel one about who is the second most important buck not not who is the second best because that's Chris Middleton and I do think that well they said most important to their to their yeah to their scheme 
And, I mean, Lopez, his combination of rim protection, and, I mean, the Bucks are still just as excellent as they, as they they were last year there. It's such a key to their success. And to do it without fouling ridiculously is also a huge plus. And then, you know, offensively, this isn't the same. To me, to me he hasn't been as ridiculous. Also, some cold streaks in there, just anything else. But important part of the success of the best team in the NBA. And so I wanted to, to give him a mention, because I, I did consider him, but he's not having a better season than Bam, and I don't think he's a better player player the band the other guy who i just wanted to touch on even though he wasn't a particularly serious candidate for me is zach levine scoring very good 57 percent true shooting 31 percent usage shoots at 38 percent from three very difficult attempts and so that's the type of guy where you're like oh man you know that would he must really be driving some efficient offense uh no no they are one of the worst offenses in the nba they're not really uh, they're better when he's on the floor but even when he is on the floor they're not killing it and i have the stats i have the stats on that if you want it this is actually something yeah. I looked up Ben Taylor and I talked about Levine in, our, in the real jam radio that came out on Monday or Tuesday Tuesday and um so the, there is this huge differential when Levine is on the floor they they could because the Bulls offensive rating is actually below 100 when he sits but it's a 107.5 when when Levine plays and they have had some support issues you know guys not playing well guys being unavailable playing some you know a little bit more Chris Dunn than we probably anticipated at the start of the season but Levine isn't even like I'm I'm sure some people would say, oh, he's a floor raiser. He's not even really a floor raiser. He's just a play, a way to sop up possessions that is not as good as a lot of these other guys. Yeah, well, the individual possessions that he uses, I get, that's totally good, right? I mean, he's well, a except the, not as yeah. a creator though. Like he as, right, as exactly. an individual, he's not scorer. a playmaker. Yeah, he does. He doesn't bend the defense in the way that we we're talking about with Trey Young. And uh, so, want to remind you guys, we have all of these stats that we're talking about here. Put all the one number metrics uh, together. Ben helped us out with that, so that's me available at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. Also want to remind you that we are going to be on the NBA's Twitch channel after the deadline. So you, number one, can ask us a bunch of questions about the deadline live that'll be fun to do that that's twitch.tv slash nba the nba is actually giving us a chance to go on their twitch channel it's basically be the same show as the nba cast but it's on that twitch channel if you're worried about syncing up they actually delay it for you pretty well so i think people didn't have any problems syncing up but this is a cool opportunity for us to work directly with the nba and hopefully advance the cause of casting these games a a little bit uh, every time we do this and then of course we'll have the regular nba cast that's going to be tuesday of next week Who's playing in that game? Oh, baby. Bucks, Pelicans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then and then it's uh, Bucks, Philly for Thursday. So that's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that. Uh, Patreon.com slash Duncan Leary. You can support the NBA cast. You can check out the stats that we have. We're going to be posting the mock trade deadline results there for everyone as well. So check that out. Patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. A great way to support us. Even better than with one of our sponsors, in fact. So let us turn now to the Western Conference. And I'm in full agreement with the starters that yeah, were selected. I don't, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that. They're the right five. I mean, I guess, is there, would you say that anyone else has an argument over AD as the last front court? I mean, it's a so just so we have it for the record, it's Harden and Luca at guard, LeBron, Kawhi, and AD as the front court. Unless you're willing to do the slide that I kind of did in reverse in the East and have slide Luca up to a forward slot and then put another guard in. Like I think Lillard has a strong case, but they don't—they're not in the same positional group. So I think that's—and and that's a little bit of a push. And AD's been so good. So no, I don't—I don't really think anybody does. Um, 
So I had three in that top tier, no-brainer, non-starters in the West. Damian Lillard, his profile is fantastic in, you know, you could say in a just world or even in different ways, he would he would not have to be a backup. He's had an awesome year. And then Christopher Emmanuel Paul. Chris Paul has had an amazing season for me, also important on the defensive end. You got him in the lock category. Huh? I do. I have him in the lock category. And then the third one, which is, it felt really good to me to have him there because he still hasn't made a fucking all-star team, is Rudy Gobert. And Gobert... It, his case in some ways is challenging because as an overall, you know, like coalescing it down into a rating, I don't know where like, he doesn't necessarily stand number one among West centers as a talent, but he is the best defensive center and center is the most important defensive position. He's also provides offensive value. He's not a huge negative there. He's, you know, it's not, he's not Carl Anthony Towns to be to be clear, but I, I thought that it's, it felt inequitable, especially considering to me he's been the best jazz man. It felt inequitable for me to not have him on the team. So here are my four locks. Lillard, Gobert, and I had two others actually. Devin Booker, I think, should be a lock. I think he is uh, might be as high as the eighth best player in the Western Conference this year. Wow, that's higher than me, but I get the argument. Well, I mean, 63% true shooting. The offense is really, really, really good. When he's on the floor, 113.8 offensive rating. You know, that's a top five offense when he's on the floor. And like, who else do these guys have who's like so good offensively? And I, he still has that on-ball juice. He gets to the line. He's not distributing as much because he's not on ball as much, but he is really playing a much more team-centric game. Where and I forget who it was. I for, forgive me for not giving the credit. Uh, but who had a piece on, on this that he? And it might have just been a tweet, but basically he is one of the scorers who actually possesses the ball the least before shooting in the NBA. And so that means he's running off ball a lot. He does these transition attacks even after makes where they hit a head pass and he just attacks uh, this poor guy who's guarding him and he gets a foul every time before the defense is set he's coming off of screens he's posting up where he's really difficult for anybody to guard there uh and he can still do the on ball stuff that he was doing last year he hasn't been doing it with the three as much but that's because he's been doing a lot of scoring his cutting like once a game he'll pretend to come off a wide pin down and then face cut right to the basket in front of the guy uh and get a pass for a backdoor layup the, the off ball game has really just been incredibly impressive and i think there's just if you put like a drew holiday on him okay then maybe he's gonna get stopped but it really takes that level of defender to deal with him at this point in time and again when you look at how much better they've been offensively with him on the floor and not only how much better but what that top end outcome is really really impressive and then it his own individual efficiency he's right up there offensively as a a top 10 player in just about all the impact metrics on offense and shit on his defense i agree still not good he's fallen off uh after a nice start to the season but again he's a shooting guard that's not where it's the most important i still think he hurts the team but they're at least passable now defensively and, uh, and it's and it's so different for him than some of the centers who are maybe they're actually not as bad defensively but it's a more important position so if you're bringing less of a positive it becomes a, a bigger impact so that's three locks i'm interested in who your fourth is if it's not if it's not chris paul yeah i ended up with Nikola Jokic. As much as we've been down on him this year, I think that you, the way he started to round into form, round out of form. Pair into form. (laughs) 
uh he's started to be really good again i think you can it's what this is one of those things where it's like yeah i'm not gonna put a bad month a month or two into my analysis that much we know what this guy is he's been playing at an all-star level for a long time he's on a, a really good team impact metrics don't love him as much as they have in past years but he's still very very solid in all of those so uh, i think he he's just he's clearly an all-star like he should be a perennial all-star until you know if he's even if he's having a slightly down year like we know who he is we we know that he is and he's also kept them afloat with all these injuries like i i don't think you can seriously consider leaving him off uh, especially again as we'll get down to it some of the guys that we do leave off and he's just a, he's just a better player than those guys like they're it's not in the same category uh, for him as you know a Brandon Ingram or something like that no real argument there you've just covered two of the three guys in my next tier Jokic and Booker both there for me and then the third guy who has a a weaker profile partially because he was permanently questionable is Carl Anthony Towns I just player quality incredibly dominant offensive player and something that you and I have been focusing on over the last couple of years is just because a player isn't the you know necessarily running the offense he's not the the hub of the, of the wheel he's still the best offensive player and the most important offensive player for the wolves and they fall apart when he's not there so he doesn't get the full point guard shine just because he doesn't run the offense in the same respect but he is their entire offense basically and we saw that for the most part though they did pull some games later on when when he was out and and for but for me though the other basic argument is he towns is not quite you know he doesn't have the same track record as Jokic. Jokic was I I should go back and actually look because I've referenced this before I think he was my first t- first team all NBA center last year Towns hasn't gotten quite there but he has that kind of talent so for me it felt again it was he needed to be on the team yeah I think so too I mean he's having the greatest shooting center or season by a center in NBA history right now and yeah I know he missed but yeah this is one of those ones where like okay yeah you know he missed 13 games he missed a month is that really gonna matter at the end of the year more concerning is the defensive metrics are absolutely atrocious I mean some of the worst numbers i can ever remember seeing for a big and because generally bigs just have higher numbers in these impact metrics but because they've actually defended reasonably well with him off the floor and when he was out it looks really bad you know i think he's below average i don't think that he is going to kill you if you have some other stuff around him and you know frankly if you're a little more engaged but again i mean this guy he's been an all-star for a long time he's the best offensive center in the game today he's one of the best offensive centers of all time and i think you know a lot of this noise around him is a a little bit of an aberration and again when you're getting into like uh, my i'll tell you who my last three were um chris paul who did make it for me and then my first my last two out were donovan mitchell and brandon ingram and i'm sorry carl's on city town is just better than those guys like it's not even close and somebody else who's better than them is my last guy in, that's Paul George. Yep, and, he made my team too. And Paul George, I mean, a part of it he is you know, he's a better player. I mean, think back to before he got hurt last year, I think I had George second in MVP. You know, like that, that's that's the caliber of player that he was last year, and, and that was probably over his head, you know, and, and I think that's fair to acknowledge. But that is a def, that is a meaningfully higher peak more recently than, than probably Mitchell and Ingram will ever get to. I mean, it, 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 it would be shocking to see either one of them get that far in the MVP race. And remember, that wasn't in March. I mean, sorry, that wasn't in November. That was in, I believe, March or February, whenever we did it. And so Paul George has to be a part of it. The, you know, some of the metrics don't love don't love him right now, and he has missed a bunch of time. But he's one hell of a basketball player, and he needs to he needs to be in the All Star game. So he gets my last spot. Yeah, I think we can discuss the candidacies of Mitchell and Ingram. 
Ingram, part of it is just not necessarily believing in the shooting to quite this level. I think his defense is bad. He's also been asked to play power forward. Maybe he's not a power forward. But then if he's asked to play small forward, he's got to get over screens, which he's not great at either. He's not really a great help defender. You know, I think he's been a big part of why New Orleans defense has struggled. Uh, you know, I think he, if anything, has taken a step back defensively with the larger load. Uh, and I still think there's the shooting has been awesome, but that's re- that's like pretty much what all this is built on and uh, ben taylor said this the other day and i I think i agree this is like the greatest one season improvement in shooting in nba history is what he's got right now and i just need to see it for a little bit longer yeah i know fred vinson he's clearly a much better shooter but is it 40 percent from three on this type of volume and you know hitting close to 50 percent for mid-range i think he was the last time i looked ah you know I, i'm not willing to go there yet i think well, Mitchell i want to add one other case. thing too yeah. with uh, Igram. even if this is real i still don't think he's a better basketball player than paul george Oh no, of course not. Yeah. I mean, that's, so I that's... mean, like, so if we're taking the high end as true, I still don't think it. You know, it's it, there's there are legal arguments like this. It's like even if the high end is true, he's still not a better basketball player than Paul George right now. Yeah, and he's not the distributor that some of these other guys are either. Um, and so uh, we had Chris Paul in there as well. I, I it's not close for you with Paul, but if you're going to go Paul versus Mitchell. Mitchell has the higher usage. That is true. But Chris Paul, they basically have the same net rating. And that's with Chris Paul uh, having just a little bit less talent around him than Donovan Mitchell has. Including including not the defensive player of the year. I mean, so you talked about how how they have similar net ratings. Remember that, you know, Donovan Mitchell is not a huge part of the defensive part of defensive component that when I think Chris Paul is a markedly better defensive player as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's like he's guarding fours. It's incredible. Sometimes at the age 34, at age and six feet tall. I, I think that Chris Paul's part in that three guard lineup that's been that's been so successful for OKC is is underappreciated on the defensive end because a big, big part of why that works is because he can guard anybody and so then Schroeder can kind of get into Schroeder stuff and then Shea he can he can handle other assignments but Chris Paul takes usually takes the toughest guy and that's well, so yeah. incredible and, and if you want to say well Dennis Schroeder has these awesome this awesome defensive RPM well if he didn't have Chris Paul to play with him to take on the much larger assignments maybe he wouldn't you know like that and you know Shea weighs a buck 80 so it's like it's definitely clear to me and and then also you know, Chris Paul is Chris Paul and Donovan Mitchell. He's got some all-star teams ahead of him, I would imagine, but I mean, he's not as good as Chris Paul is. And Paul, I mean, he's stayed healthy. He's played as many minutes as just about anybody on this list, you know, at least to the played basically 1,500 minutes. So it's not, uh, you know, you don't have the argument that he's missed time. He hasn't missed time hardly at all. Uh, so I'm, uh, and he's not as crazy good in some of these impact records. Like he's 40th in offensive RPM, but he's 44th in defensive RPM for a six foot point guard. That's pretty good. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think he's got to take it over Mitchell. I probably would have had Mitchell over Ingram. Was there anyone else who got any consideration for you? I think Russell Westbrook is probably the name that's out there the most. Not particularly. It was really those other two. And you know, I think that there, there also aren't any amazing players, you know, kind of getting into that phase of their career that I thought warranted it. Westbrook, to me, wasn't, he wasn't in the same level. I mean, especially comparing Westbrook and Paul George. I mean, if that, yeah. Paul George got my last button. Paul George is better, was better last season, and will be better. So, yeah, that was easy. 
Yeah, and I, I would have had Westbrook significantly below some of the guys that we're talking about. I mean, now oh, he's yeah. coming off the knee surgery. He's still not playing back-to-backs. He's playing a lot better recently. I don't think I had Westbrook as an all-star last year. I, no, I might I, have, and that's, I might that's have. what I was going to get to as well. They say, oh, well, he's got the stature. He's been good for so long, blah, blah. It's not a fluke. Well, yeah, I, I think he's already has significantly dropped off. And I mean, the, the efficiency just sticks out like a sore thumb when you say he's 52% true shooting and nobody else on this list is below 56 and the only guy who is below 56 i think in even the eastern conference was tatum that we thought of as a serious candidate and he also has it incredibly easy when he plays with james harden and they're just doubling harden at half court and then he can play four and three all the time like you can argue he should be doing more and you know he is playing better like that's not uh it's not crazy to think of but i mean there's really in terms of the impact metrics offensive rpm still really loves him defensive rpm he's terrible 419th in the nba and he's another guy where you just you watch him and you're like yeah he's making a lot of mistakes he's taking some taking plays off uh missing guys so i'm uh yeah there's not really much of a statistical argument for him other than points rebounds and assists which we've evolved beyond those at this point uh i think worth noting season is far from over this would be russell westbrook's third consecutive year under 55 percent true shooting which also happens to be his career high yeah i mean that the mvp year i still stick by picking him as the mvp that year but he did that on a shooting that was really far above what he normally was going to do well and assisting on every shot he didn't take yeah i mean he's shooting like is he even at 25 percent from three yet he's at 23.4 percent from three as of when we record I mean, this. that is just and on, he takes on, up so many on, of them on 4.3 attempts per 36 yeah i mean that is just atrocious so i want to take a second to talk about victor oladipo's return which happened yesterday. It'll be remembered for hitting a 28-foot bomb out of an ISO to tie the game uh, against the Bulls. He had previously been 0 for 6 from 3 before that, taking uh, some pretty thirsty shots too. And so it's a memorable return. He didn't end up not playing it on the overtime. He was on a minute's limit. And they I, they might have brought him back, but they surged in the lead so quickly in overtime that they didn't need him. But having watched him, I thought uh, the number one thing that stood out to me was I thought from a burst standpoint, it really looked very good. I was very encouraged overall. I thought that you know, the the parts of his game that looked a little bit shaky were not physical. It was the rust and everything else. And that always takes time. So I thought that, you know, like he, he had a couple of a couple of bad jumpers and a couple of a couple of bad passes. He did have, I think it was three assists in the first quarter. But physically, yeah, that burst, it was back more than I expected in game one. And that's what matters. Yeah, now he had that burst out on the floor. We didn't really see him trying to finish at the rim against the contest. Uh, go up get the explosion at the basket i thought derrick rose who's kind of a similar player not the same injury but when he came back i thought he still had it and he still to some degree does have it uh out on the floor getting by guys but he doesn't have the same explosion at the rim so that's what i'm really going to be looking for in future games because of the bulls scheme where they trap the pick and roll we didn't get to see it much he did have a nice play where he split the pick and roll I thought his pocket passing was looking good. He said that he's worked on deep threes a lot. He missed a couple. We saw that, though, in the at the end when uh hey up when you're up through with 11 seconds left Chandler Hutchinson like you might want to at least put make the guy put the ball on the floor before he just shoots a three over you but in any event 
Um, a couple other notes on that game. The Bulls didn't score for the last four minutes of the game. They had a seven-point lead. And it's not like the Pacers were killing it either. But Zach Levine, it was basically the Levine show. He missed a, a number of contested threes. The one time that they maybe could have gotten a better look, Sadoransky had a pick and roll of Felicio, and he just fumbled the pass. He could have gone up for a layup uh, if he had caught it cleanly. And the Bulls are just so banged up right now with Lowry Markinen out and Wendell Carter and Daniel Gafford all out. I mean, they played either Felicio or Luke Cornett basically the entire way they went to some Thad Young at center switching groups I think in the overtime so uh but yeah I mean the Bulls crunch time offense has been a major problem and it's been Zach Levine either taking contested threes or dribbling into guys chess and not being able to finish because he's not they don't have any shooting which makes it tougher to dime up shooters but he's just needs to be a little bit under control more than that all right, so Danny's going to take off here. I will finish up with some of the news that's piled up here. We had the mock trade deadline. Obviously, we had the COVID tragedy. So we haven't had a chance to talk about that stuff in a little bit. I'll I'll, I'll hit on that. He's going to take off, but there's nothing that's like too sexy, hopefully, that you guys really need him for. Let's start in Sacramento, where despite the greatest intentionally missed free throw of all time by De'Aaron Fox in their crazy comeback over the Kings. There's been some more drama. Bogdan Bogdanovich is now starting in place of Buddy Heald, and they've actually played a little bit better of late. Marvin Bagley is now out again with this left foot issue. He's missed uh, four straight, including Wednesday against the the Thunder, and that was the same one that sidelined him earlier in the season, and they're ruling him out in pretty far in advance of the game. So I am concerned there that this could be a major issue for him if he's on the shelf again. And I mean, if he ends up having a totally lost year where it seems like it's trending in that direction to have not really learned anything about what you have in him and who fits with him and how good he is, whether he's really worth building around is a major lost opportunity for Phoenix. Aaron Baines and Cam Johnson are both supposed to be reevaluated in a few days here. Baines, it's been left hip soreness. He's been out for some time, as has Cam Johnson with a right quad contusion. Sounded like he was trying to ramp up his activity and then was not able to. Josh Richardson, he's got about another week until a reevaluation with his hamstring injury. So even with Joel Embiid, who made his return on Tuesday against the Warriors from that left ring finger surgery, they still have not had a chance to get their whole group together the Knicks uh, Ian Begley had a great piece on the beginning of the season for the Knicks and apparently there was a belief internally that the Knicks were a playoff team of course when they started two and eight that led to that famous press conference and then the firing of David Fisdale they were absolutely and completely insane to believe that this was a playoff team I mean they had them as an over under at 27 wins and we had the under on that so I mean but any objective source there was just no reason to think that all these power forwards would work they didn't have enough shooting their primary offense of creator as a rookie on the perimeter they've actually been like a slight positive defensively this year but uh, they were always going to be one of the worst offenses in the league the pelicans from a trade standpoint Sean's reporting that they want to see this roster through they want to evaluate zion brandon ingram drew holiday and lonzo ball they've played well since uh, lonzo's come back blew out the Cavs on tuesday minnesota continues to suffer from a number of injury issues alan crab who they acquired for jeff teague we thought maybe part of that was just they needed someone who could shut but now it's a left patella subluxation for Alan Crabb. He doesn't have a timetable to return, but that certainly does not sound like it's something he's going to be back for anytime soon. For Miami, Justice Winslow is still out with that back issue. Kendrick Nunn was questionable on Tuesday against Boston, a game we did the NBA cast for, uh, but did not play. He's missed three straight, but if you imagine if he was questionable, he can be back. 
for their next game. Sore left Achilles is the issue for there. The Grizz, Eric Pincus, a friend of the program, fellow teacher at Sports Business Classroom, quoted an executive with the Grizzlies as saying, we are not buying him out. We will trade him, period, with regard to Andre Iguodala. And Tim McMahon saying that a number of executives believe that Iguodala could be headed to Dallas, that their backstop offer is this Golden State second. I'm not sure that I would want to spend that on Iguodala, frankly, because it doesn't seem like there's much chance he could be back there. I would want to get someone a little younger, spending basically their only draft asset that they can trade that's worth anything for some time on a 36-year-old. Doesn't seem like the smartest move to me, given where they are as a franchise. The Clippers, they're going to get Patrick Beverly back against the Kings on Thursday. He's probable. Paul George also probable coming off of that hamstring issue. We never even talked actually about a couple of trades that popped up. It started in Dallas with Isaiah Roby, who had been a second round pick of the Mavs, was given two guaranteed years. He was traded to Oklahoma City for Justin Patton and Cash. Patton then would be waived by the Mavs. I think the Mavs wanted to get off of that money for next year, but also just create a roster spot. I think probably what they did was they looked around the league to say, hey, do you, does anybody want Isaiah Roby before we waive him? And Oklahoma City said, yeah, sure, we'll give you some cash. Then that opened up a last, last detail on that 800,000 in cash is what the, the Thunder sent for Justin Patton to get with. That's about what his salary would have been. So maybe it's even just doing Roby a favor. Uh, he had struggled with some foot issues playing in the G League. And then the trade of Willie Cauley-Stein. They sent Utah's second from Dallas. Cauley-Stein had a player option for next year. It seemed like the primary reason to move that for Golden State was to get out of that player option. I still had some hope that he could maybe contribute with this group. We never saw him with Steph Curry. That was a, a missed opportunity. He played, I think, four minutes with Curry overall. And, you know, I thought he could have done some switching in their system when they had everyone healthy and they had more size on the wing. Really pushed it pushed it running the floor to get some dunks when they were playing faster. They have not played fast this year with D'Angelo Russell as one of the slowest point guards in the league. But I think they just wanted the roster spot for next year. There's a worry he could get hurt, that he could opt in, that they wouldn't want him. So to get anything for him, I think uh, is pretty good. I did hear that they had another offer of a second rounder for Kali Sign, but, and you can probably do the math on who that might have been considering that Utah's second is pretty close to as bad as it gets, but they prefer that Utah second from Dallas. And I think Kali Sign is about as good as Dallas could have hoped for here to replace the injured Dwight Powell. He does run the floor. I think he can give them a little bit more defensively than Powell did as a rim protector. That's actually where Kali Stein had done more this year than he had in the past. And it can get up for some dunks. He's not going to be the same quality of role man as Dwight Powell. And Powell at least provided some nominal stretch every once in a while. And Kali Stein is not going to do that. The Warriors now uh, have opened that second roster spot. They can stay at 13 until after the trade deadline. So that gives them some more room below the hard cap getting off that 2.2 million they are now 2.6 million under. So they should be able to, once the trade deadline is over, bring back Marquise Chris and Kai Bowman or any potential buyout candidates. Shum's also reporting that in Detroit, the market on Andre Drummond seems to be stagnant, less so in the mock-off season, of course. And three teams inquired with the Pistons, that being Atlanta, New York, and Boston. They are not pursuing it any further. If Boston inquired, that probably meant that they were looking to move potentially Gordon Hayward in that, but the Pistons are asking for a first-round pick or a quality young player, but perhaps that asking price will go down. For Denver, Jamal Murray, still going to be a while with his sprained ankle, 
starting to feel like it could be until the all-star break for him starting to feel like it'll be the same way for Millsap uh, with that knee issue and you get to the point where it's like all right we're gonna bring this guy back one game before the all-star game or two games before the all-star game better to just leave him on the shelf until after the break give him another week and a half of rest Cleveland Brandon Knight could miss another one to three weeks of action that just makes it slightly tougher to trade him I doubt it was going to happen anyway but if they're trying to use him as an expiring contract and a team might have some interest in thinking he could play for them that becomes less likely but at least Kevin Porter Jr. is back from that scary knee injury they had a couple of weeks ago and Chicago we mentioned this earlier Larry Markin and hip stress reaction so four to six weeks for him that news came out last week and we mentioned how thin they are in the front court they've actually been playing okay shockingly enough uh, they beat Cleveland pretty comfortably on the road they beat the Spurs and probably should have beaten Indiana frankly if Zach Levine hadn't been unable to score in the last four minutes and then he clearly got fouled on the last play of regulation by Oladipo that didn't get called either so uh it's keep an eye on them you would think they'd just be totally sunk with all these guys that are up but yeah maybe it's just a dead cat bounce maybe there's something else there but uh, marking in this is a big problem because this is close to the rest of his year i mean maybe he'll come back oh i don't know as early as like march and they can get a little bit more of a look at him but then you get into you know crazy silly season in the nba hard to evaluate guys over the last month or so of the season because there's just so many bullshit games and he's extension eligible this summer and just this has been a very disappointing year for him hasn't hit shots you can say he hasn't been used right that the system is not great they don't really have any good passing i agree with all that but the reality is that as of this point he hasn't produced it and so both sides are really going to be at an information deficit going into those extension talks next year hopefully they can get a look at him in training camp uh, and see how it looks there so that'll do it we're going to be back if you are a patreon subscriber you get a chance to submit fake trades for which we're going to talk about on our next episode which will probably be either sunday night or monday morning and we will evaluate those in advance of the trade deadline obviously if there are any trades over the weekend we'll talk about those hollinger and duncan should be out as you listen to this as well we on sunday did a basically mock gm of four of the contenders it was good to actually talk to him since he's been in a front office to say, hey, what are you willing to do? We really wonder where our target's going to be. What are we going to give up for each of these teams? So then we got to a chance to do that with the rest of the contenders uh, in the most recent episode as well. So lots of awesome trade deadline content for you. And hopefully we'll have uh, an interesting deadline to talk to you all about. Catch you next time.